The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hi, I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This is Working, the podcast. This is where my colleague Nina Melendez and I discuss a conversation I had with a thought leader or an industry executive on my LinkedIn video series, This is Working. Nina and I take that conversation, we dissect it, we extract our top takeaways for you, the listener, and here's Nina now. Hey, Nina. Dan, did you have any wild career ambitions when you were a kid? You know, I really thought that I could become a rapper, and I was convinced. <laughs> I was super into hip-hop in uh-huh. middle school and in early high school, and I formed a band, and I was convinced we were going to make it. We did not make it. Uh-huh. We did a number of uh, performed a number of bar mitzvahs in did- Louisville, <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that's not the way that you then succeed in the music business. Were you the lyricist, or were you the beat maker? Uh, I was the lyricist, yeah. Nice! Yeah, yeah. Well, there were, there were a bunch of us. We all, we all rapped. And did they rhyme? They did. I mean, that's. I feel like that's probably the lowest bar that you have to be able to maintain in order to have a rap group. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? You know, I wanted to at one point um, direct music videos. Oh. Yeah. I can't sing, but I just love the idea of telling a story through music. I assume then you're pretty excited about who we're talking about today. Yeah, I couldn't believe that you were able to speak with Bob Pittman, who was the, one of the founders of MTV the creative mind behind VH1, Nick at Night, and some of those other big media brands. Yeah, Bob was also the president and COO of AOL Time Warner. He was essentially my boss at one point when I was at Fortune. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now he's at iHeartMedia, where he's the CEO, and Radio Inc. calls him the most powerful man in radio. But just going back to the MTV part, I remember when I was a kid and MTV came to Louisville, Kentucky, and just what a incredible moment that was. Just, I didn't want to leave the TV. Yeah. I mean, just so much imagination, so exciting. Yeah. It was, my parents didn't get it at all. Yeah. It was, really felt like it was just talking to me. I loved it. And there was a time where people were spending a lot of money on music videos. Yeah, they were they incredibly were well produced. Oh my God, amazing. Did you have a favorite one? Oh, I mean, anything Michael Jackson did with so his good. music videos were so good. Um, do you remember VH1's pop-up video? Those were incredible. Loved those. Or Behind the Music. Yeah. Yeah. They really, sh- I mean, I felt like this was what I wanted to know. Like, how did you do that? Why yeah. did you do that? What were those decisions made? They yeah. were, that was really incredible entertainment. You know, Bob was also the CEO of Six Flags at one point for a short stint of time. And I was so fascinated by the fact that he took this job, even though he had no idea how to run it. An amusement park. And um, he has his whole philosophy on how he chooses his career path. Let's take a listen to what he has to say. Mine is never about passion. It's about curiosity. Hmm. And what I've loved about every job I've taken is I didn't know much about it before I jumped into it. Uh, when I went to Six Flags, I didn't know how theme parks worked. When I went to AOL, I was I was originally on the board, and I joined the board because this new thing called the internet was happening. I go, this might be interesting to be on the board and sort of learn about this. And then a year later, I went and joined Steve as the as the president and COO of the company, and it, it was always those things that got my my curiosity fed. Uh, with MTV, I was uh, at NBC. I was sort of this wonderkin program director. I was. 23 when they brought me to WNBC in New York. 
And at age 25, my, my great mentor, Herb Schlosser, who was the president of NBC, got kicked out. And suddenly I felt like, wow, my career's gone, I've got nothing. And so I was ripe to be recruited. And this new company building cable networks, which by the way, there weren't any, was going to build cable networks, came to me to be their programming guy. And so I wound up doing that just because that sounded sort of interesting and I didn't know anything about it. So that's been, through my career, the one driving force has been curiosity. I think there's a lot that you can learn from this approach. The idea that you don't have to be an expert in something before you do it. Yeah. And you don't have to be obsessed with it before you take it on. Yeah. You can just be curious and you can just have belief. And, we talk, and Bob talks a little bit about this idea of being okay with taking risks and never really measuring whether a risk has worked out or not worked out. It's just, you just got to keep moving forward. And he goes into some depth into his philosophy around that. I think those th two things are paired up. This idea of, I'm curious about this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go and I think I can do it. I'm going to go do it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's fine. But if you have curiosity and if you have drive and if you don't get upset by setbacks, this kind of philosophy is great for you. You That's can sort of do anything. <laughs> that is a lot. You're right. All right, so let's take, could you have any one of those th three yeah. things and be successful in a new job where you're not already an expert at it? Do you need to have all three of those in order to be able to jump at a high level into new positions? I think you need to have certainly uh, a drive and maybe not afraid of setbacks. This reminds me of Stephanie Lenartz, the CEO of Under Armour. She had spent the majority, if not her, almost her entire career in hospitality, and she was tapped to lead I mean, sports retail. And she didn't really have a ton of experience in retail, but she took it anyways. And I think that that's, there's something about coming into a place brand new and just being curious about how it works. And, you know, Stephanie talked about like asking the dumb questions. So I wonder if that's sort of the secret sauce that even Bob Pittman has. He comes into places just curious about it. And because of that, he can kind of develop these new cool things because... He has no parameters almost right. in and a way. In Stephanie's case, it wasn't just that her career was in hospitality. Her entire life was. Her parents were right. in hospitality. She kind yeah. of grew up in a hotel. And then she made that jump. It's funny. When I started this conversation with Bob, my first question was about whether his start in his business life was related to where he is now at iHeartMedia. Because mm -hmm. as a teenager, he was involved in the local radio station. It was his first job. And I assumed that what he was going to say is, oh, yeah, I'm an iHeart now, and it takes me back to my first love, and it really connects these dots. Full circle moment. Full circle yeah. moment, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, nope, no, that's not at all. They're not at all related. Happenstance that I happen to be in this. What drives me is curiosity and that there was something that seemed cool here. And, and, and I think that for so many of us, it is sort of like, well, this is who I am. I'm in the hospitality business. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep moving up. I'm going to change companies. When in fact, this is sort of transferable if you have, I think, the at least two of the three things that Bob laid out. Career question for you. Yeah. Do you think people should take a job that is risky, i.e. has a high chance of failure? I think that people should push themselves. And that they should definitely take chances. And if you are going to a company that is new and unproven or into an industry that's just starting, 
I guess my advice would be know what your path out of it might be or know what skills you intend to develop along the way and then take the chance. But just taking the chance to take the chance, I probably wouldn't recommend, but you got to go into it knowing what you're hoping to get out of it. Hmm. So I'll give you an example. In my own case, when I came to LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to spend two years here. So this was 12 years ago. And I was like, I'm going to go for two years because I need to learn how a tech company works. The entire industry I was in was changing and I knew I needed skills that I could get at a tech company. I wanted to learn the processes. I wanted to meet new people. I wanted to expand my network. But I thought there was a very high likelihood that it wouldn't work for me. I thought LinkedIn would succeed. Mm-hmm. But I was a round peg in a square hole. Mm-hmm. And I was worried that I wouldn't fit in. But I was like, I can st- I could stay for two years. So that was the risk I, I took. And again, I ended up staying for a lot longer than I intended to mm-hmm. because I, I just keep learning every day. So it's great, but I, I think that kind of a risk is necessary for people. But you should know what you want to get out of it. Bob talked a lot about how there's, for him, there's no real difference between success and failure. Because you did ask him this in the larger interview, which folks should go listen to if they have a chance, because it was great. And he's just saying that he doesn't look at things as a failure or a success. It's like they're all stepping stones in the same direction. So that's kind of in the same vein of what you were saying. Of Yeah. Like there is know, kind of a success yeah. wrapped in, every, like inside of everything. You yeah. fail and you're like, well, I got this out of yeah. it, I got that out of it. There was something that Sally Sussman, who's the head of comms and policy at Pfizer, said that I think really relates to this, which is that nobody remembers your failures but you. Mm. And it was one. It was her piece of career advice, which was like, we fail and we're so sure that everyone sees how we have failed mm-hmm. and is always thinking about how we failed. And she's mm-hmm. like, no one knows it. No one notices. <laughs> no one remembers. And- if you can have that kind of an attitude where you're like, I failed, I'm not sure how big of a deal it was, I'm going to keep moving forward. Like, Bob just kept moving forward. Yeah. And I think that's one of the keys. You can't dwell on it for too long. Yeah, but he's, he's also successful. Yeah. You think he so, was rewriting history a little bit? You don't think that it No, no, him? he was successful. So, of course, it's easy to be like, just move forward. I mean, he, was, he didn't really have a failure at any of these places. I mean, AOL Time Warner is considered to be the worst merger of all oh. time. So... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so I think he's had some pretty public uh, failings, okay. but That's it has fair. not, you know, for, for other people that might have sunk him. Bob's just like, on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. Mm. He was always confident that he could do something great at someplace new. Yeah. This is something that women tend to be a little deficient in. When they are applying for a new job, when they are looking for next opportunities, compared to men, they tend to sort of sell themselves a little short. So there is this HBR article that cites a bunch of research on how women won't apply for a job unless they're 100% qualified. And men will apply to the job even if they have like, for example, two out of the 10 requirements for the job. And it's something that I think is also part of Bob's success. So he'll, like we said, go to Six Flags, even though he doesn't know anything about amusement parks. He'll go to AOL, even though like the internet is in its infancy and he doesn't really know anything about the internet. So maybe that's also a good precursor to success. By the way, speaking of that data, that is definitely something that has had an impact on me. And reading all that data has made me as a manager realize that when there are new jobs that are opening, if there are women on the team, that I want to make sure that they are applying to these roles, I will do the outreach and say, like, you should apply here. I don't want someone to not apply because they're like, I'm not qualified. Right. If you're, again, if you're curious. Yes. And if you're smart, you can get it. Absolutely. You know, Bob, we talked a lot about 
curiosity. And Bob is very focused on this idea of curiosity. Mm -hmm. But in order to be curious, you also need to be able to step back and ask questions as an outsider. And part of this came from growing up. He grew up in the Deep South. He had an accident as a child, like six or seven, lost one of his eyes. So he was like, I was this kid who was always on the fringes and I was watching what was going on. And he thinks that watching really helped make him successful in his career. I was an outsider. I mean, I'm the kid with the glass eye. When you're seven or eight, that's a big deal. And so I was always on the periphery. And as a result, I became, I think, a pretty good observer of people. Uh, I was also a little skinny kid in Mississippi where there are a lot of big farm boys. And uh, so uh, to avoid getting bullied, you just sort of learn how to, how to read people and how to deal with them in a way that's not gonna be confrontational uh, and that's gonna sort of serve their needs. And so I think as a marketer, what we're really in the business of doing is watching people, watching people and, and studying enough to say, ah, that's what's going on. And uh, once we have that epiphany, we can build a product for it. I just think it is so ironic that this self-described like skinny kid from Mississippi ended up founding the network that would define cool for generations and generations. Maybe that's part of it, though. I mean, that's what it takes. I think that if you were writing the movie of the founding of MTV, right. you would probably have like some kid who's super into rock and, you know, plays the electric guitar and is like, that's going to be the person that does it. But when you look at in the music industry who has been successful, it has almost always been these kind of outsiders. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about using your quote unquote disadvantages or your perceived disadvantages to your advantage. So in Bob's example, being on the periphery and that making him a really good observer of people, um, learning how to deal with people because he says, you know, he didn't want to get bullied. Those things that are that you would see are disadvantages turned out to be actually a very huge advantage for him. It makes me wonder whether we are parenting all wrong. Yeah. Because you spend so much of your time as a parent trying to make sure that your kids are fitting in and are part of the group and are not feeling left out or sitting by the side. Aren't the last kids Is picked that... for, you know, dodgeball Is or for, for games? Is that how you grew up? That's how I grew up. <laughs> Not how I was you were my, first of everything? Yeah. Well, we, we lived in Puerto Rico for like six months, and we went to a private school, and everyone in the private school had uniforms, right? But my mom was like, she's only going to be here for six months. So I was like the one kid who, A, didn't speak Spanish, and I wore like this, these denim overalls. So everyone was like sharp in their, you know, pressed uniforms, and there I showed up with my denim uni- overalls. You didn't have to wear a uniform? We had to. It was a Catholic school. But your mom, but my like, mom was like, I, I don't know, know she doesn't need a fit. Yeah. yeah. But, but I'm thinking about how I'm raising my kids. Uh-huh. And it's hard as a parent to watch your kids be an outsider. You don't want your kids to feel like they don't fit in. I mean, clearly your mom had a different perspective <laughs> on it, which is why you're destined to be the next billionaire that I'll be interviewing. But, you know, you listen to Bob, you listen to other people we've talked to yeah. who that has fueled their success. Yeah, uh, Ginny Rom- Ginny Rometty. Oh, Ginny Rometty. I was thinking Total Wolf, Wolf is a great example. Total yeah. Wolf had to leave high school because he was in a private school. His dad died. Basically, the money left the family, and he the school was like, "You have to leave." Yeah, he was so ashamed of the poverty that came after his dad died. The, he said the kids were pretty nasty to him. They were nasty to him. Yeah, and that really fueled his motivation to now be like this very successful. 
wealthy guy. Yeah. So now I feel like we found the secret to success, which is that you have to be an outsider as a kid. Nina, you were an outsider as a kid, changed schools a number of times, wore whatever your mom told you to wear at a school that required uniforms. Yeah. Has that helped you in your career? I would say like Bob, it's made me a, a observer of people and curious about people. And I think that's probably why I, why I went into journalism, because I'm interested in people's stories. And I kind of have always felt like as like outside looking in was sort of a not natural for me. So going into places and talking to people, I didn't need to feel like I belonged in order to get the story out of them. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more on my conversation with Bob Pittman. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. And we're back. You know, I was curious how Bob thought about data, because here's some guy who was very much a watcher. He talks a lot about sitting on the sidelines, watching what consumers do and what they seem into. And I was wondering whether that means he never uses data mm-hmm. or whether he trains his curiosity on data or how that works. Is he a guy who's driven by gut, driven by numbers or some combination? I thought his answer was super intriguing. I think every decision we make is a gut decision. The question is, is our gut conditioned by our years of experience or our next door neighbor or kids, or is it conditioned by having looked at a lot of data? I can sit with exactly the same data as someone else and come to a different conclusion about what it's telling us. The guy who did our first concept test for MTV before we launched and then came on the inside and was our head of research there and I worked with for many, many years, worked with him at AOL, Marshall Cohen. He and I would fight like cats and dogs over exactly the same data. He would say it meant this, I would say it meant this, and we would sort of try and reconcile our positions. So I think that people are are fooling themselves if they think research or data is policymaking. It's not. It's just giving some answers, but we have to figure out what to do with that information. I have have a podcast called Math and Magic, and I've used that as my mantra for 50 years, 40 years. It's like the math is we need to know the information, what's really going on, what's the landscape, but that's not going to motivate anyone. Then we have to have the magic. Okay, now that I know that I'm going to do something with it to build MTV or to build AOL, to build something that excites people. And uh, so I think we have to be very, very careful. I also think sometimes people go for measurability over impact. And I, I, the, sort of the, the biggest story of that was when I was in MTV, 
we launched MTV and there were no ratings because there were, you know, these cable networks. What were you supposed to do? Nielsen wasn't rating them. And Coca-Cola said, when you get ratings, come back and talk to us. Pepsi-Cola, a guy named Roger Enrico was running it, said, wow, all these kids are, are sort of into MTV. I'm going to advertise there. No ratings. He was our biggest advertiser. When we finally got ratings, we went to Coca-Cola. Love to get them in, too. And they said, well, you don't have a three national rating or 65% reach of the country. Measurement. So we can't advertise there. Pepsi kept advertising. And in that six-year period in which Pepsi had a de facto exclusive over Coca-Cola, they moved the market share of Pepsi the most it's ever been moved before or after. Coke thought it was a product problem. If you remember, they came out with new Coke. Oh, it must be a product problem. We changed the product. And then finally, they realized that Pepsi had had MTV all to themselves, 100% share of voice. And for the next 10 years, Coca-Cola outspent Pepsi two to one on MTV to try and erase that advantage. But that was a case of, did you want impact, Roger Enrico at Pepsi, or did you want measurement, Coca-Cola? There's so much here that I, that I was just so impressed by, but that whole thing of math and magic, math is information and then the magic comes. And the magic is that little like je ne sais quoi, secret sauce that takes the math and makes it happen. You know, data is great, but you, you need to have the smart, intuitive people who can tell a story with the data. Exactly. So the question is, how do you turn that data into something that is meaningful? How do you mm -hmm. make a story out of it? How do you sell a vision? Mm -hmm. And when you listen to his answer, you can see what happens when you're able to do that. Yep. I mean, the fact that he was able to go to Pepsi and be like, I don't have the data, but I've got a sense. Maybe he had some data, but it wasn't enough for a company like Coca-Cola that was like, forget the magic part. We want just the math part. Right. They were out. Pepsi was like, yeah, I buy into that. I yeah. like this idea. And from what Bob laid out, it's clear that it was a winner for Pepsi in terms of winning in the marketplace. Yeah, I think if you have to pick one, you got to have that vision part mm -hmm. because you can get the data. You can find the data. You can make the data work. But if you don't have the vision, you can't explain the data to someone else. But kudos to Pepsi also for being visionaries alongside Bob because they had the wherewithal to look forward and to be anticipating a great thing. You know, if you're creating a product that is going to be cool, then you know the youths, the youths are going to go towards it, right? Right. And then Pepsi just knowing if that's going to be cool, those are where the kids are going to be. Those are, you know, huge drivers of consumerism. And so we're going to put our money there. Yeah. And Bob talks about Roger Enrico, who was Pepsi's legendary CEO, saying, just seeing it right from the start. And I think there's something about the person-to-person -person connection to you have a vision, someone else has a similar vision, and you're able to come together and be like, oh, that's how these two work together. Yeah. Um, so there's just so much humanity in this. I mean, you yeah. just have to be able to explain how you see the world going, and that gets people excited, especially if they have a similar worldview and you're like, yes, you're talking my language. Let's do this together. This goes back to this whole thing of risk, because it was still a risk for Pepsi. Absolutely. Dan, do you think that vision can be learned? I think so. Um, I mean, I think it's two things. One is I think it's a question of learning how to be a good storyteller. That's something you can learn. And then two, it's confidence. And I think if you combine confidence plus storytelling, you get vision. Hmm. That second part takes you way out of your comfort zone. Hmm. Like it's one thing to be like, well, here's what the data tells us. And I think this is what it means to saying, this is what the data tells us. And this is what it's going to look like three years from now. Because you're extrapolating so far, so much that you better believe in what you're saying. 
I think that storytelling can be learned, and I think confidence is developed over time. You know, something that Bob says, he talks about making decisions kind of quickly and embracing that you will probably be wrong. We have a clip of that actually right now. Let's take a listen. When we get ready to do something, we say, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? What is it? What's a timetable to get there? What are the steps we're going to do to get there? And then we say, by the way, chances are whatever we're deciding to do will be wrong. At best, geniuses get it right 50% of the time. So we better be prepared to watch it carefully and be prepared that it's going to be wrong and be prepared to try and try and try again until we get it right. What we do know is what we're trying to accomplish. What we don't know is exactly how to get there. And so we've just got to try a lot of things. And I think speed matters, urgency matters, quick decisions matter. We often talk about, you know, somebody will say, well, I, I'm going to make that decision next week. And my usual uh, response is, what are you going to know in a week you don't know right now? And if the answer is not much, just make the decision now. Sooner is better. It allows us to try more things, to keep moving, and to finally iterate until we get to that goal. I think back to visionaries. I think a good visionary like Bob just isn't worried about the failure of it. I think there's a difference between being a visionary and a charlatan. Mm -hmm. So in business, you want to be someone who is a visionary but says, I could be wrong about this. Right. You know, a charlatan is someone who gets up and is like, here's how this is all going to work in 100 years right. and, you know, and, right. and, and sell something crazy. We're going to cure everything with one exactly. drop of blood. <laughs> exactly. Just one drop. Right. Exactly. Don't right. be a charlatan. But if you want to be a visionary, you want people to come along with you on your path, then you should be able to say, I strongly believe that this is what's going to happen. Here's why I think this is the case. Do you agree with me? And if so, let's do this together. You know what was interesting is in the earlier clip, he said it's not passion that drives him. Because I was just about to say, you got to have passion. But he said it's not passion. Passion doesn't drive him. It's purely curiosity. Yeah, you didn't hear, you, you really never heard Bob talk about the role of emotions in anything he did. In fact, he says he never really gets yeah. upset about failure. He's strangely pragmatic. He is in, very pragmatic. In the way he, for a creative and for someone who has done these sort of kind of wild things or had these wild ideas. He's super pragmatic about it all. So this is a good time to ask you, the listeners, where you net out. Are you someone who's driven by passion? Are you driven by curiosity? Or some third thing that Nina and I did not consider here. Let us know on LinkedIn using the hashtag thisisworking or send us your voice. Make a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at thisisworking at linkedin.com. Either way, you might hear your contributions on an upcoming episode. Please share this podcast episode with a friend and review it. It'll help new listeners find us. And if you'd like to hear the full conversation between Dan and Bob, check the show notes. We'll link to it there. This is Working is a LinkedIn editorial production. Our production team includes Sarah Storm, Stephen Valdivia, Asaf Gidron, Taisha Henry, and Lilia Briggs. Joe DeGiorgi mixes our show. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our head of original programming is Courtney Coop. I'm Nina Melendez, senior producer. And I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Be well and stay curious. 